Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with the very silly, giggly Phil Fariska. Hey everybody. And Peter Mayo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And the giggliest of them all, Misha Bukikio. I am proud to be super giggly. I had to restart this intro four times because they kept making me laugh. Oh, let's make it five. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with it this time. So today we're going to be talking on the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast about how to select a, not an, but a SEO, uh, a a firm to come or an individual to come and help you with your search engine optimization. And we're not just telling you come hire fuel, although that would be great, but we're telling you this from the mouths of Google. They released this awesome video a couple of weeks ago and it literally breaks down how Google looks at SEOs and what you really should be looking at yourself when you're hiring someone to help you optimize your site to rank higher in the search engines. So before we get into that, let's jump into the news. I can kick us off this week. I found an article on hospitalitynet.org titled, Seven Signs Your Hotel Marketing is Out of Control. And I thought um, some of the points they had were really good points that all hotels and hotel marketers need to be aware of. So here, I don't want to go over every single one of them, but just a few of the ones that I felt were some of the better ones were, number one, you're clueless about how much you pay OTAs. That seems like a no-brainer that you should definitely be aware of what your commissions are and what your fees are. Um, Another one was too many vendors, too much chaos. You know, I think sometimes you get carried away with, oh, this one agency is really good at this one thing. Um, And you start to acquire more vendors and more vendors and more vendors. And the next thing you know, you're working with 20 different companies on 20 different things. So just kind of keeping a balance of, um, you know, knowing what your vendors are good at, you know, what you can do in-house, you know, what you're spending keeping that all in line. Yeah, I would say on that one, you know, and we, we deal with that situation some where we're, we're an agency of record for, for certain aspects of the marketing for property and they might have a few others, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's multiple. When it's just one, it's not bad. And I, I think that's a good approach for a lot of hotels to have a couple of different eyeballs on what's going on just to keep everyone honest and make sure that you're not missing out. And if you just stick with one agency for forever, it can get a little stale, right? But when it gets beyond two, I think it's a real challenge for each of the agencies to, to be unified in their strategy and, and collaborate in a way that really maximizes everything you're doing. You know, if someone's doing social and someone else is doing PR and they're not working together like they potentially could, I think you need to evaluate that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we've been in situations like that before where it is difficult if we're having to work with other vendors you know, trying to make sure that our, just our messaging is consistent across all these various platforms, you know, it can be a challenge. That's something that you should definitely take into consideration when you are choosing which vendors and how many vendors you're working with. And if you do have multiple vendors, it's it's important to get them in contact with one another just so, you know, you can be on the same page and have your messaging be consistent. Yeah, at a minimum, you need a monthly call with, with all the stakeholders, including yourself, to, you know, referee and, and listen to all the input. Uh, and, and most agencies, I'll be honest, most agencies and vendors today tend to play nice together in the sandbox. I think we've all realized that it's better to work together than against each other. So I think that genuinely people do want to help each other, but it just gets chaotic when there's five different companies with five different philosophies trying to do the same thing. 
when all the companies are working together, it's so important that they have one set of analytics that they're looking at. You know, I see that happen more and more where, you know, one person is looking at, say, Adobe Analytics, and the other company might be looking at Google Analytics. And you're basically making decisions based on different sets of data, and that always leads down a, a rocky path. Yeah, and it's not always just the different tools. Sometimes they're looking at different metrics within the tool. Like someone's really obsessed with last click analytics, and the other group are looking at, you know, lifetime value and attribution modeling and stuff like that. So I think you've got to make sure that everyone is playing on an equal playing field great example is when you're looking at PPC, right? If someone is managing your PPC and someone else is managing your website analytics, then the PPC vendor is probably going to use the data coming directly from AdWords, which is a hundred percent attribution of anyone that clicks on that ad is going to, the attribution is going to go hundred percent back to that click, right? But your website is going to look at campaigns. And if that person comes back again from say an email or social link or somewhere else that's campaign, it's going to override it. So your numbers are going to be way off in a lot of cases. And then with Google too, they're also looking at, you know, there's there's that lag of people. Like they're going to continue to attribute it beyond the end of the month if, if you're looking at it just, you know, on a month-to-month basis as well. So just be cautious. Absolutely. There's definitely a lot to take into consideration. The last point that I wanted to highlight from this article was something that we have discussed thoroughly in several of our podcasts, but you fail at rate parity. That is so important to have your rates consistent across any other channel that you're publishing rates to. And ideally, if your rates aren't able to be in parity, you know, you have, you're working to get some type of software, some type of company that can help you with that. Yeah. And it's a tricky job, but there are tools and and solutions out there to make it easier. But, you know, we were talking to a prospect yesterday and... You know, they came to us and said we had we are ninety plus reliant on ninety plus percent reliant on OTAs. That is insane. Yeah, and uh, it's lazy. I'll be honest, it's just lazy. Yeah. And I hate to call them out. I'm not going to mention them by name, but the first thing I did was went and did some meta searches. You know, uh, and their rates were all over the place. You know, there was a just for next week there was a seventy five dollar swing on the lowest and the highest rate oh, being wow. published. Wow. That's and, a and, difference. And it was. You know, there were more than two different channels the same rate. It was like $198, $175, $130. It was all over the place. And you know what? Their website wasn't even close to the lowest, you know? Hmm. What makes that so scary is if you don't have rate parity, not only are you losing the booking to possibly an OTA, the customer is going to get confused if they're making the right decision at all. Because they're thinking, oh, well, if I found three different rates, this is the best. Is there a fourth one I don't know about? And it actually can delay a booking because that person is forced back into a research mode when you already have them in what should be a booking mode. Right. You're eroding the confidence in your property. And, and, you know, everyone wants to make sure they're not making a bad decision before they book. There's always that risk of buyer's remorse. When you're showing them different rates, it, it definitely confuses them. I agree. Yeah, I thought it was, the article definitely had some good points. So if you're interested in more, you know, just go to the show notes and, and check out all their points in the full article. Yeah, and a whole nother four whole points on there, right? <laughs> a whole nother four I points. I did the math of seven minus three. I'm proud of you, yeah. gold star. So you can get the show notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 45 and we'll link to that article right there. So what's next? All right, so the next news item we have is from T News and it's entitled Our Alternative payment methods mature enough for broad adoption. 
basically what they're talking about is you know payment methods such as you know Apple Pay, Google Wallet, things along those lines. And the article is initially written from a airline perspective of getting people to use these alternate payment methods to book their airfare flights and things along those lines. But it does kind of transcend beyond just air to travel in general and how hotels can best adopt these new payment methods. You know, me personally, I absolutely love Apple Pay. And anytime I have the ability just to, you know, swipe my phone over a, you know, payment area, that is so much easier than bringing a wallet around. From a hotel's perspective, especially if you're at a resort, having the ability to only have a phone on you, if you have an app, that means you might be able to have remote key entry to your room, but it also means you don't necessarily have any cash on you. So if all you have is your phone and you're able to pay at the property, it is something that I think all hotels should be paying attention to. One, you can pay via the app if your property has your PMS and your food and beverage systems all integrated. But two, even if you don't, having that ability to just, you know, take your phone and swipe it is a lot easier than carrying, you know, credit cards around. Yeah, I mean, I look at it two ways, right? You've got the the booking purchase itself online, which there's no reason in today's age you shouldn't give the opportunity to pay with multiple, whether it's PayPal Mm -hmm. or some other frictionless Amazon payments, whatever it is. I think you should give people the option why not you know don't get it in their way but have the regular traditional pay with your credit card or click here to pay with one of these other methods yeah, i don't i don't really use those payment methods much i know you do i i just personally don't but don't make it hard for people to spend money if that's the way they choose to spend their money just make it easy right it's it's about reducing friction in any kind of conversion right and look at disney and disney have their proprietary version of this payment system in the magic bands and you know, if you look at the data on how much more people are spending on property now, oh, their yeah. magic band is their wallet and their room key. It's it's astronomical, and there's no reason with today's technology that every hotel could not adopt that same strategy. I'll say personally, like I haven't set up, you know, the the wallet or the Apple Pay or anything yet. But if I'm on a website and I'm shopping around and doing shopping, and I get to the the cart page. You know, I'm lazy. Sometimes I'm like, oh, if I'm sitting on my couch, like I got to get up and go get my credit card or whatever. But if they have a, a pay via PayPal button, yeah, you're a lot more likely to get that sale because I can just click one button and pay and not have to sit there and enter in all that information. Yeah, and, and the article does extend to from a security perspective as well. So, you know, are customers concerned that these new payment methods are secure or not sure. as secure as our current methods? And one of the things that I like about, you know, typical the you know, the digital wallets is, at least in the case of Apple, it actually creates a separate credit card number that ties to your primary card number so that at no point is your actual card number ever exposed to the transaction. It all runs through this phantom credit card number that has been created in partnership with Apple and your bank to run the transaction. So it's actually much more secure than even if you were to just pay with your card. You want to Stuart, to your point from a you know Disney perspective, when we were at Disney and had the the magic bands on, you typically don't even see how much an item costs. <laughs> if you want it, boom, you show your wrist to the correction. Cashier. Your kids want it, and true, boom. yeah, yeah. I, I have my kids' bands turned off so they could not charge, but I would imagine <laughs> that's a big part of where Disney's seeing the revenue from. Yeah, the other thing to consider with this, especially when we go back to online transactions, right? The actual booking, and, and, and it's not just the booking of the hotel. You can be 
selling additional services, room upgrades, all kinds of add-ons before they get to the property and during their stay, right? If you're using an, a mobile app or something like that. So making that as frictionless as possible and really thinking about the fact that a lot of people are now using mobile. It's the majority of traffic coming to your site, especially when they're on property. Think about this. If you get a push notification while you're on property that says, you know, buy the spa 20% off or you go play around a golf or get this meal or late checkout, whatever it is, and you can just click or swipe and it's done and you don't have to enter your credit card information anymore, that is frictionless at its best and you're going to get a lot more of an uptake on that transaction. So what's next? Um, last news item we have today are uh, the five do's and don'ts of direct messaging your guests. So I'll just jump right into it. The first one they point out is do find out if they were delayed. So if your guest doesn't show up on time, reach out to them, find out if they were delayed. If they were, you know, tell them, you know, we have toiletries, we have whatever. Just make them feel better because we know how annoying it is to be traveling, be delayed and all that. Yeah, and get to the hotel and then get walked because they resold your room. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, so second one, don't copy and paste. Basically what they mean is don't send the same message to every guest. Be personable, you know, have a personality. Don't just copy and paste. People will see right through that. They don't feel it's genuine. Well, I thought it was interesting. You know, I scanned through this article before the podcast and the first line is kind of funny. It says, just like you wouldn't copy and paste the same text message to a guy or girl you're going to ask out, which that has definitely happened before. You should definitely not do that. Um, but they go further and say, if you're contacting them via Facebook Messenger or a social network, go to their profile and find out one thing they liked or one place they visited and use that as an icebreaker. I feel like that's a little creepy. Yeah, it's definitely a little creepy. Like, you can be personable without yes. you know, creeping through their Facebook. For sure. Like, don't just don't be a stalker. Like, if, if a hotel messaged me and it's like, hey, Misha, I see you really like cats. Did you know we have a lot of strays outside of our hotel? <laughs> like, that would be weird. You would uh, still go, though. Yeah, she'd go I, adopt a few. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I would be kind of excited. But still, it would be weird. I would, yeah. I'd check in and be like, yeah, so the person that stalked me, you might want to <laughs> yeah. talk to them. <laughs> So, sorry. It's okay. Uh, Three on the list was do use shorten links. This is really helpful. If somebody's asking the property uh, through some type of messenger, any type of question, find the answer for them on the internet, create a shortened link with bit.ly or something like that, and send it to them. It makes it super easy. You know, you can do it right through a phone. It's it's painless. Um, Number four, don't sell during the first message. I think everybody's aware of that. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that all the time, but always be selling. Yeah. But it, it it's not going. I think there's a difference between going for the close and warming someone up and pushing them a little bit through the funnel. You know, letting people be aware of something that's that's potentially available without ramming it down their throat makes sense. But yeah, don't yeah, don't hit them in the face with it. Don't be so aggressive. Even this says if you phrase it in a way that shows how you want to help them, it won't come off as aggressive. Right. So. I think that's the point they're trying to make there. And the last point, um, do find out if they're a repeat visitor and remember their preferences. So if you can keep like a little portfolio on your guests and kind of understand likes, dislikes, what they, where they stayed, things, things that make a follow-up message more personal. Yeah, and we talk a lot on this show about this is the hospitality business and we got to keep that human component to it. And it's tough if you're a 500-unit property, right, and, and you don't get to know every guest. But you can you can augment yourself by storing data in the 
customer profile so that you can remember that for next time or any reservation scan. But you know what? If you're a 20, 30 unit property, there's no excuse. You should get to know your guests, every single one that comes, especially those that have come more than once and get to know them personally and develop a one-on-one relationship because that's what's going to keep them coming back and that's what's going to keep them telling other people about how great your property is and leaving great reviews and and they become your marketer. And probably more likely to make a direct booking. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for (laughs) sure. If you let them know. Yeah. We talked about that in last week's episode. All right, so that wraps up the news. So let's jump into the topic. So a lot of people out there, I hope, are already investing in some form in SEO. And there is a spectrum of people out there that offer this as a service. There is the 15-year-old kid who's in high school who can do that black hat, white text on a white background, uh, shady link building from Russia kind of tactics. And then there, you know, uh, enterprise level uh, pro- companies that do nothing but SEO and charge thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And, you know, there's everything in between. It really is a spectrum. So how do you as a hotelier really know that you're making a good choice when you're selecting a SEO? I almost said an SEO, Misha. Would that, would that have set you off? A little bit. That's, that's a trigger. Yeah. <laughs> when One of my many. An SEO. Go. A SEO. An SEO. I'm kidding. It sounds like a vowel, so it's easy to say. I know. I'm just a Nazi. Yeah, it is A. But anyway, so Misha, Google put out this video that really helps people. And Google does a really good job of really telling people what they should be doing and should not be doing. They do it very clearly. They recently, you know, when they essentially outlawed pop-ups on mobile, they were very, very clear. They gave a lot of clarity into what you can do and what you cannot do. And yeah. they notify you like months in advance. Right. They've gotten a lot better at that. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be, hey, we just released an algorithm last week. That's why your ranking dropped. And here's what it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they've been a lot more proactive. Yes, they're changing the algorithm every single day. And they're doing tests every single day. Uh, but the philosophy has not changed with Google for a long, long time, which is create awesome content and, and share that awesome content. And we did a whole SEO episode before on when Google confirmed what the top three ranking factors are, right? Which was content, links, and then their new machine learning algorithm rank brain. So we know that if you have a good product and you deserve to be at the top of the search engines, then you're probably gonna rank well if you're doing the right things. But you need an SEO expert, a SEO expert, to help do the the minutia stuff, the stuff that's behind the curtain or under the hood, as it were. So let's let's kind of drill down into this video, and we'll post the video itself on the show notes as well. But Misha, you want to go through this? Sure. So as Stuart just said, Google released a video, and the article that we're referencing was a Search Engine Land article that kind of summarized it. But the original video was from Google. And I just wanted to point out that I think it's awesome that they're finally acknowledging SEO as a thing. I feel like for a while, for a while, forever, ever since search engines were a thing, you know, we were fighting with them to, you know, figure out how we can make our sites rank. And it was they didn't want us in their minds, SEOs were manipulating things and were going against their algorithm updates. So it was years and years and years of algorithm updates and, you know, new best practices. It was, we gained the system, they'd adjust to counteract that and it repeat, you know? Yeah, it was just a constant battle, but now they're kind of working with us, giving us, like, it's like Stuart mentioned, uh, a framework saying, 
you know, create great content, do this for the users, everybody will be happy. Yeah. The industry is more mature. And obviously Google's algorithms are much more mature to where there really isn't gaming the system. It's, you know, doing the best thing in terms of content, in terms of site development, and everything else that you can do. It's if you follow the best practices, there is no gaming involved. Sure. Yeah, and they sure. have tons of best practices. I mean, if you ever have a question about anything website or search engine related, Google it and you will get a Google help article. I mean, they just have so much content out there and they really are trying to help the marketing community in general, you know, have a better feel for this is how our search engines work. This is what you can do to show up. So, you know, we can start out by just kind of the intro to the video had some really good points. Um, you know, a lot of people might already be aware of this, but just in case you aren't, SEO stands for search engine optimization. Um, two things they point out is it's not magic. Um, you know, I think there still is a lot of ambiguity with what we actually do to help websites rank. So hopefully we'll clarify some of that. Um, and then another point they had is long-term success cannot be achieved by short-term tricks. So if you are ever talking to a consultant or an agency that says, yeah, you know, we'll have you in the top spot for whatever search query is within, you know, two weeks or whatever it is. It's like, not how that it's works. Just, that's a scam. Yeah, it's, it's just totally a scam. scam. That's just completely not how this process works. They also point out that successful SEO helps you put your best foot forward so that it ranks appropriately. And appropriate which I think is, is it's key. so important. It's so important because you have to you have to put yourself in in the mind of okay, here's you versus all your competitors, and are you really better than them? Because if you're not, then you don't deserve position one. That's basically the point they're trying and, to make. And, you know, searcher intent is so important now. You know, I know from a hotel's perspective, you know, if you're in Miami, yeah, absolutely. I think my hotel should show up the first listing for hotels in Miami. But searcher intent and what stage they are in the buying process, that doesn't make sense. Great point. Yeah, and I think people lose sight of that a lot. It's a conversation I have to have. And it's a hard conversation I have to have with clients whose expectations are just out of whack. But... We always step back and say, okay, what are Google trying to do? What, are, what is their objective here? And their objective has never changed, and it never will change. They are trying to provide the best, most relevant, and useful results to someone that types in a query in a search engine. That That's never, ever, ever going to change. So if your site is not the best match for that query, you are never, ever going to be able to trick or do anything to get your site to rank number one. Because Google is so sophisticated and so smart, and they've eliminated a lot of those opportunities to gain the system. The only way you can rank number one for a relevant keyword is to provide the best, most useful resource for that query. And when you go after those terms that are not relevant, say Miami hotels, if you're not the best result for that, but you're focusing all your effort on optimizing for that term, you're fighting a losing battle. Not only are you probably not going to ever get to the top of that ranking, but you're also taking time away from your team's efforts to rank where you probably should be ranking. Right, so consider the intent. So someone types in Miami hotels. They clearly haven't picked a property yet, so they're doing research. And we know when people are doing research, they're interested in price, in location, in quality, in amenities. Reviews. You know, in, yeah. So. They, they want that information. So a single property in Miami is not the best match for that query. But you know what it is? TripAdvisor, Hotels.com, probably the CVB site. Or if you're a group of properties in that destination and you have a portal site, 
that provides all that information, you have a chance to rank. But you know what? If your portal site does not have reviews and does not have pricing, it's just a shell that links out to the individual property sites, it's probably not going to rank because TripAdvisor has way more information than you do. Absolutely. The next point that they mention is that SEO works to improve the entire searcher experience. And this is something we've probably discussed in the past where there's almost blurred lines between SEO and conversion rate optimization. And we in-house here at Fuel work very closely with our analytics team to make sure that, you know, not just for natural search, but, you know, in our realm of SEO that we are, you know, yes, rankings are important. Getting traffic to your site is important, but then working with our other team to make sure that people coming in organically are having a great search experience throughout the entire website. Right. And we know it's a ranking factor where if click-through rate and what they consider pogo sticking, meaning someone hit your site and then bounce back to the search engine. If the more that happens, the less likely you are going to be to rank for that query because you're not serving the intent of the searcher. Right. And that's where rank bring comes in. So, so in its very simplest form, it's aggregating data on individual's behavior and, and using that data to determine how effective that site experience was at fulfilling the, the query, the intent of the consumer, right? So if someone leaves your site and goes back to the search engines and clicks on your competitor and then spends a bunch of time on that site, in Google's mind, that's a signal that that other site does a better job than you. So they're more likely to rank above you next time. So that, that search Search is important, but the experience on the website is probably more important in today's age. And they also mentioned that, you know, doing what is good for SEO is good for all of your online customers. There's never a recommendation that an SEO would make that wouldn't make sense for somebody coming in via email or PPC or social. It, I mean, it all works cohesively together. And that's a good litmus test for when you are talking to an SEO or they make a recommendation for you to kind of run that in your mind saying, okay, they're recommending I write an article about something that may not be relevant at all. Stepping back and saying, well, is that what my customer is looking for when they go to my website? If the answer is no, you know, time to readjust your strategy a little bit. Another thing that they point out, which, you know, all of these I agree with, but this one especially, a good SEO will focus on best practices and they will be able to pair that recommendation with a best practices document from Google. You know, I'm looking over at Phil, he's shaking his head. You know, we have several audits that we use and provide to clients and for every single one of those recommendations and things that we check i can think of the google document that states here's our best practice for x whether it's site speed or internal link structure or whatever it might be i mean there are documents out there so you know being able to pair that with the recommendations is really important yeah, this is almost your new gaming the system but it's not really you're just taking what they tell you you're supposed to do and doing it we yeah. can back up any recommendation we make yeah, and it, it's it's funny because in the olden days, and I say that five, ten years ago, it, it there was a lot of guesswork. We really didn't know because Google hadn't been as vocal back then and the algorithm really wasn't as mature as it is today. And there were some loopholes. So there was a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of question marks about ranking and, and what you can do and how effective it is. That that doesn't happen anymore. We We know it's a science today. We know that if we do A, B, C, D, E, and if the client is willing to invest the appropriate amount of effort into their website, that we can get good ranking. Now, we're never going to say you're guaranteed number one ranking, right? But you can rank appropriately to the level that you're willing to commit. The last point that they mention in, again, this is just the, the overview for the video, I think is 
so important. I know I've said it for every point, but in most cases, SEO will take anywhere from four to 12 months before long-term results are seen. I think that's really important to keep in mind, especially on the client side. You know, SEO isn't necessarily something that you're gonna see overnight results in, so it can become hard over time to justify the amount of time and energy sometimes it does take. So we like to be upfront about that. You know, this is not month one, we're gonna see spectacular results. This does take time and I like that they do provide a range, you know, four to 12 months. It could be shorter, it could be longer. I mean, it's just, you need to be able to wrap your head around that if you're going to invest in it. Yeah, like your first point, this isn't, this isn't a magic button. You don't just turn on SEO and your rankings increase. That's not how this works. It's a, it's, it's a long-term investment. Yeah, I, I think this point is really important for the client, but it's also important for other SEOs in the industry, agencies that do this, the kind of work that we do, because you have to set expectations, and that that is critical. If you don't tell your clients up front, this is likely what's going to happen in this amount of time, then you're setting yourselves up for failure. And you know, it's especially important for a company like ours where we don't have any long-term contracts. Like a client can come to us in hire us for a month or for 20 years like some of our clients have we don't lock them into any kind of long-term contract like a lot of our com- competitors do so we have to be really clear up front and say if you're going to do seo with us just know that if you do it for a month and switch it off you're probably not going to see a whole lot of results we need to make sure we have a track record we get not just this basic stuff done but that we continue to invest in promoting the content and building links and earning links and doing all the stuff that just it takes time to nurture and mature and that's why you also have a marketing mix and not just one thing that you do you know, you, you are always running a search campaign but then you also have you know, a paid campaign you have a trip advisor campaign you have a social campaign and you have all these other methods that you can use to drive traffic to your site while you're gaining those organic rankings that are going to help you long term mm-hmm. so moving forward with the video after they went through just the introduction and you know the beginner's guide to SEO, the host talks about three specific points and gives three tips to help you throughout the process of hiring the SEO. The first of which is to conduct a two-way interview with your potential SEO and to check that they are genuinely interested in your business. So they provide um, a list of questions that your SEO should be asking you and that you should ask them. So I'll just run through a few of these and you guys feel free to chime in. The first one was what makes your business content and or you, um, oh, I'm sorry, your business content and service unique and therefore valuable to the customer. This is what we call like your differentiator. What makes you special? It helps us as SEOs determine, you know, what type of content we need to create to make sure everybody knows why you're different and knows why you're better. I, th- I think they're doing a flip. I think they're telling you, the client, to ask the agency yeah. Yeah. this in this case. Sorry, right? I'm yeah. always stuck. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think this is why, you know, you have firms that just do SEO and they do it for all industries. But honestly, if you're in a niche like hotels where it, it it's so specialized and there's so many unique nuances, I really do recommend that you go with a SEO agency that, understands hospitality that has a track record ranking that under for hotel related keywords that understands the difference between you know a broad search miami hotels and then these more refined keywords and understands things like the schema markup you know any kind of rich snippets that are specific to the hotel industry that are going to make you rank higher and get you 
a little bit more visibility, not just in ranking, but also the space being taken up on the SERP as well. And to expand on that, you know, what makes your property unique? Well, we're a great family resort. That doesn't make you unique depending on where you are. There could be every resort, you know, in a destination is a great family resort. You know, so I think a good SEO will help you narrow down truly what it is that makes you unique and special because there is something there. You just don't want to say, well, you know, we give great service. Well, every hotel should be doing that. Find out what truly does make you unique and that's what you want to hit. Yeah, and even if it's not unique, even if it's something that that differentiates you from some of the people in the market, you can go after it. Like Misha said earlier, what Google told us is an SEO helps you put your best foot forward. Now, your best foot might not be as good as some of the other properties, the five stars in your market, but it's your best foot, and that's what you need to put front and center. So if you have a lazy river that's 83 meters long, and the guy next door has one that's 93 meters long, it doesn't matter. That's still something you want to anchor your SEO efforts on because you have a great a great lazy river, right? Another question that your SEO should be asking you is what does your current customer look like and how do they currently find your website? I feel like that's really important. Yeah, I mean, understanding the 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 intent of a consumer is is critical in all marketing but especially when it comes to search where you're harvesting intent you're not trying to build up demand not most of the time you know something like email social you can create a demand but with with a search engine people go there to ask a question or to fulfill a need or to purchase a product they have an intent when they go there you're not interrupting them you're trying to give them the answer to what they're, the question is they're asking. You know, and this could be how do they currently find your website? You know, we were just talking about OTAs and rate parity. If, like the prospect you were talking to, if 90% of the people find your website through OTAs, you know, that leads us to the next point was how does your business make money and how can search help? There's a huge opportunity there. If you are super reliant on OTAs or, you know, other channels, you know, and there's a large void in that organic search, there's a huge opportunity there. Especially if OTAs are outranking you. That's that's a problem we've seen a few times where uh, an OTA can outrank a branded website, which is... A problem. It's a problem, yeah. and it is something that needs to be addressed. Well, and and it, you address it, it with SEO. Yeah, and it's something... You're clearly doing something wrong, because Google, as it's matured, has done a really, really good job of identifying the brand for a search term and favoring it. And you really have to do a terrible job to not rank number one for your brand in your destination. It gets a little complicated if they're, if you say a Holiday Inn in Miami and there are five of those, right? that can get a little uh, wonky. But if you're an independent property and you're the only one with that name in your destination, if you're not number one for your brand searches, give There's us a, a call. Big problem. Give us a call because we'll fix that pretty quick within four to 12 months. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully sooner than that. Yeah. Um, another question that they mentioned that I know this is one of the first questions that we ask clients is what other channels are you currently using? That's going to give us a really good idea of, you know, how savvy you are with your advertising so far, perhaps, you know, how reliant you are on the OTAs or if you're doing a great job at balancing, you know, OTAs and email and social. I mean, it just kind of puts things in perspective for us. And we, we definitely ask that early on in the sales process. Yeah, and it helps us align your messaging as well. If we know it's working for you on other channels, you know, it's it's definitely easier for us to transfer that in and, and, and put it on the website as well. Yeah, one of, sorry, go ahead. No, it gives us a lot of opportunity to look at 
data that you may not think is necessarily directly related to SEO, but it could be very valuable. You know, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, where your guests coming from, you know, what are they doing? Well, you know, if you have an active email campaign, well, that tells us that we have the ability to maybe survey those people and really get direct information from your consumer and not just from analytics. But once you know what works and what doesn't, you can use that in terms of SEO. Yeah, and looking at the behavior when they get to the website and what pages are having the biggest impact on conversion. So if you see that people that see the amenities page are 30% more likely to convert than people that don't, then leveraging that knowledge and applying that into even your meta descriptions, right? Because the search engine's results page, the SERP itself, part of our battle is is getting your site to rank. But the other part is using sales tactics and trying to persuade someone to click on your listing versus the competition. So finding out what the triggers are, what are the compelling assets that your property has and infusing that into the, the strategic copywriting that goes into writing a meta description is really important because you can you can jump a few ranks if you do that well because if more people are seeing you at a lower rank and clicking on you because you are persuading them to do that in with your copywriting then google's going to see that's a positive sign and maybe is going to favor you and rank you a little higher later on the last question that i mentioned and of course there's several others that you should be asking um and that your seo should be asking you but the last one that they mentioned was um who are your competitors and what do they do well online and offline? I know for me personally, that's very helpful just to, you know, I'll ask, you know, our clients, you know, well, who are your competitors? Who do you think they are? What are they doing well? Just to see how well you understand the competitive landscape. And that gives us an opportunity to do some research on our, and it's definitely a starting point, but we do a lot of research on whether it's for branded searches, whether it's for non-branded searches, whether it's on other websites, you know, who is your true competition? And it's, it's really important for both parties to have a good understanding of that. Yeah, and that, that's kind of helping us create what we always refer to as 10x content too. If we know who the competitors are in even for certain search results, then we can look at what they're doing and try to do it better than them. It, it, that's, how we, that's how we go about creating 10x. Yeah, and remember too that your competitor is not just other properties in your destination but it's also other distribution channels that are selling your inventory. So when you're looking at competition on your brand keywords, it's it's not other hotels, it's TripAdvisor, Hotels.com, Expedios, these folks that you're sanctioning to sell your property. But you've got to make sure you do everything you can to make sure that when someone has a choice that they ultimately choose to book direct through you. Uh, I mean, it's terrible, but the reality is today that these OTAs, a bidding on your brand. They're paying Google to show themselves above your organic listings because they know they can capture a good percentage of the people that already know they want to stay with your property. So I would say go listen to last week's episode because we really drill into how the OTAs are manipulating people into booking with them versus the, the direct booking and give you some advice on you know, how to combat that. So that was episode 44. So if you go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 44, that's what we drilled into last week. The last um, point they had just, again, under this first umbrella question was that the SEO should want to know about your business from a holistic perspective, and they should want to understand your goals, know who your customers are, and understand your overall marketing efforts. So 
a good chunk of this conversation, aside from being SEO specific, should be about your business. You know, what you're currently tracking, what are your KPIs, what are your goals, and just have a, a full understanding of your whole marketing spectrum. And it kind of goes back to that point I just touched on a few minutes ago, your overall marketing efforts. If you have you know, billboards down a highway and you're promoting the same message on these billboards, your SEO has to know that because that's how now people are aware of you. Those things need to be put on your website. So if they're searched for, they're found. That's, that's kind of another, just another example of knowing what the overall marketing effort is. Yeah, and I, I think in general, SEOs, your social team, who, whatever vendors you hire to do any kind of marketing, they need to see themselves as an extension of your property, as an extension of your marketing department. Because unless they adopt that mindset, they're just going to be doing the daily tasks of trying to put heads in beds through a formulaic method and just worried about their bottom line, not necessarily your bottom line. You really need a team that are going to come in and and maybe visit the property, and, but at least at a minimum get to know the property on a personal level, get to understand what makes it tick, what its DNA is, so that they can believe in it and that they genuinely want to help that property be successful. So I, I think it's a big mindset and it's, a, it's tough because a lot of agencies just are not, especially the larger agencies, are not set up that way. They're set up to scale. And it's all about how many how many clients can each employee manage, and you lose that personal touch. And there's no way when you're managing 50 properties that you can really get to know all of them individually and give them individual attention. So this is where you really want to push your vendor, whoever it is, to to get to know your property inside and out. And that's also why you don't want to have five agencies all working on your business at one time because at no point if someone only handles social only handles ppc only handles seo will they have kind of the resources to really understand your business it helps to have all those people working together you know if you have one or two vendors hey that's fine but make sure that they work together because it is a holistic approach so after you have completed your two-way interview and you're feeling good about this potential candidate, whether it be a person or an agency, the next step that Google suggests is to check their references. To me, this is a no-brainer. They specifically mentioned to conduct online and offline research about your potential candidate and to ask for references of past client work. So I see this going several different directions. If, if it is an individual person or even an agency and you know other clients that they have worked with and you feel comfortable reaching out to them, do that. Or even if you know it's a website they've worked with in the past, go visit that website. You know, And if it's, again, a person or an agency, go visit their website. If you feel great about this person or company and then you get there and their website is terrible, that should not instill a high amount of confidence in their ability to help your own website. So just using common sense when it comes to hiring this person to work with you. I mean, think about it as an, an interview for somebody you would hire in-house. You're not just gonna meet with this person one time and say, okay, you've got the job. I mean, this is a process and you need to do research on your end to make sure it's a good fit. Yeah, it's like doing a background check with an employee. You you wanna make sure that what they're saying is indeed what they provide. You know, how long have they been in business? What's their track record? Go look at reviews of that vendor. But certainly talk to clients. And it's funny because a lot of times people will ask us for references. And I could give you, you know, our top tier clients that would have been with us 20 years and are the ones that are going to give us a rave review, right? 
I would rather say, look at our portfolio and you pick, like, who do you want to contact? Because that's more authentic. I could, I could, it's just like references on a, on a CV, right? Yeah. Is you, or a resume. You can say, here's my dad and my uncle and my you know, teacher who really liked me, but it doesn't really give me an insight into who you really are and what maybe the negatives are of you. I want it, I want it to be more candid. And we actually, uh, this is funny, we have a kickoff meeting with a new client uh, later today, and he's a listener of the podcast. I'm not going to call him out by name. But, you know, we were, we've been talking on and off for a little while, and he was using a competitor of ours for a long time. And, you know, we did the same thing. It's like, you know, here are some of our clients. And unprompted, he went to one of our clients' websites and did a live chat and said, hey, I want to talk to someone in the marketing team about fuel. And I, I'm assuming that they responded to him because they sent me. They said, who's this guy that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's trying to uh, live chat us? But, you know, we ended up getting the business because what we – said we deliver is what we deliver and our client verified that for him so he's listening you know who you are (laughs) so the third and final step to this whole process after you've gotten the references you know you've done your interview ask for a technical and search audit so this might be something depending on what company you're working with that you have to pay for and for good reason it does take a lot of time to do this but be sure that's something that you get in advance. And then they do provide, I don't want to get too nitty gritty because they did provide like several details. So definitely watch the full video if you want a full list of things that they should be looking at. But the first thing you want to do is, or that the SEO will probably request is access to Google Search Console and Google Analytics. You can give them a limited view of this so they're not able to go in and set up new dashboards and go in and change things, but they will have access to that data and they will need that in order to go in and start digging around and see what's going on. As an SEO, we need to see what your most popular pages are. We need to see what's driving your traffic and what's working for you. It helps us, you know, that's that's a piece of this audit that we put together. Absolutely. Yeah, and believe it or not, I mean, people, I don't know why people haven't talked about this more, but Search Console actually gives us data that everyone's been screaming about we don't have for Mm -hmm. years years right search console actually still has some keyword data it's limited it's not nearly as good as it used to be in google analytics but there's insight there that you can see where people are coming from and then follow that through to conversion as well so they after you get the the data you know the seo is going to provide a prioritized list of items that need to be improved for seo and again, they should be able to justify that with Google's best practices. They should also provide, um, you know, not only a prioritized list of items, but then the overall time estimate and the investment. So how much, you know, money it will cost to say if they're going to do it on there and how much time it might cost if you're going to take that in-house and do it. And then the estimated overall business impact. So why are they doing it? Well, we want to optimize this page because here are the issues here's what you can do to fix it, here's how long it will take, here's what our expected result is, and improve in rank for X keyword. They should be able to connect all of those dots for you in this document. Just going over some of the audits that you might be getting, one would be a technical audit. So this is gonna get really nitty gritty about your internal link structure, the crawlability of your website and how search engines are seeing it looking at server errors and what might be causing those. It's a very in-depth report and they look at a lot of things that you might not have even thought of when you initially started seeking out help with search engine optimization, but it is really important diving into your website and seeing what the issues are and where areas for improvement lie. And the second audit that they mentioned that again, you might be getting, and this might be combined into one overall audit. These are just two parts that they mentioned 
is a search audit. So looking at your list of target keywords that again, they might provide or you come up with together and they might break those into categories like branded, non-branded and even farther down into, you know, what phase of the search funnel does this keyword address, how realistic it is. Audit the brand experience throughout your search journey. So is your messaging consistent across, you know, all of these different key terms that people might be finding your website? That's really important to have that consistency, not only across different channels, but across just different searcher intent pages on your website. Doing some competitive research for your top non-brand keyword targets. So who are you competing with for those, you know, water park in Miami type keywords or wherever it might be. Just looking at who realistically is your competition. And then auditing and providing recommendations for content across your website. We've talked content nonstop in other podcasts. Obviously, it's very crucial to your success for SEO. So they're going to audit that. Auditing and providing recommendations for improving the website structure and internal link structure. So this could be anything from how your navigation is set up and how easy it is to maneuver throughout the website to, you know, putting in more internal links where it makes sense so that people, again, can naturally flow through that buyer's journey. Um, And then finally, auditing and providing recommendations for your external links. So looking at your link profile, who is linking to your website, looking at what anchor text they're using to link to your website. Do you have a lot of really spammy, not great links from foreign countries? You know, is that hurting you? What can you do to solicit more links? These are all recommendations that SEO should be providing to you. And, you know, after we get all of this, um, one key thing to keep in mind before you do make a decision on whether or not you want to invest in SEO and if you want to move forward with this person or company is that the biggest holdup a lot of times on the client end is them actually taking the time to implement the changes or getting too antsy to see results. So that's really something that they mentioned specifically in this video for people looking you know, at buying SEO services you know, you have to be willing to invest the time and the money and the energy into it for it to be successful. Well, yeah. your point too of you're likely to have to pay for a the SEO audit or it'll be part of a setup fee or something along those lines. The way you explained it makes perfect sense of why you probably have to pay for that because it is really a bulk of the SEO efforts that are going to be taking place. It is all the research. It's all the you know, quantitative data that's going to be necessary to find success. You know, if someone does not do this and they're looking for your SEO business, you kind of have to question that because how do they know, one, what to charge, how they know what to do if they're just jumping in there saying, hey, we'll get you on first page. If we don't do an audit, we have no idea what, what we actually need to do for you. It is literally the blueprint for, you know, the next several years of optimization. Yeah, so with, with us, when we sign someone on the first 30 days of, any kind of marketing campaign is that's what we do we audit people so we can in the second 30 days come up with a strategy and start executing that strategy but once that's done once the audit's done your work begins right that's when you have to start implementing constantly and it's ever evolving and just because you audited your server errors to this month doesn't mean you're not going to have more next month so it's not a one-time fee that you go to an agency and say can you audit me and, and fix that stuff? You've got to continue to invest in SEO. And that that might be a lesser amount on a month-to-month basis, but you, it, it's not something you, you're ever finished with with SEO. 
So guys, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see um, from an SEO perspective? I'd say one of the ones I, I see is that people are too focused on the ranking. You know, they're, they're trying to chase number one rank for a specific keyword that maybe isn't the highest volume keyword, but it matters to them for some reason, right? What we like to do is look at it SEO from a holistic standpoint and say, how much total traffic and how much total revenue am I getting from SEO and how does that compare to last year? And, and parlaying that in with industry trends, right? So maybe the destination isn't as popular this year versus last year. And how does that relate to other marketing channels? But, you know, it's really tricky when you're looking just at ranking because Google is doing such a good job of personalizing the results now. And what I pull up on Google in my Firefox browser in Model Beach and what you pull up in Chrome on your mobile device in Miami is going to be very, very different. So, so just pulling it up isn't a good indication of rank. Ranking software does a better job of aggregating that. But still, we're not trying to get rank. We're trying to get traffic. We're trying to get heads in beds. Yeah, I think one of this plays into your point, Stuart. One of the biggest mistakes I see is just managing those expectations. And I do agree that people get too in the weeds with rank. And then a lot of times, you know, again, I understand you're coming at it from your hotel's perspective, but wanting to rank for things that are just, to be blunt, just unrealistic and it's not ever going to happen. And trying to, you know, reel that in and think about it from your customer's perspective and what is helpful to them. Yeah, it's almost. <clears throat> It's almost you know tasking your SEO is something that will never never happen is is a waste of your time and and money and effort. So using these audits, finding finding what we should be going after, finding the right opportunities to optimize for, is is kind of going into that setting the expectation and and doing what you're supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we see happen a lot is you know the the hotel you know, get, understands the technical part. I need to have this done, this done. But really understanding that you're trying to fulfill searcher intent, which means content development, which means a lot of rolling up your sleeves and getting the work done, and that it does take a long time. You know, going in there saying, here, I'll pay you this, optimize my site, and it's done. It is an ongoing process that is more collaborative than I think a lot of hotels expect. You know, we need to understand what is this content that we're going to be writing or the hotel is going to be writing going to be about? Let's lay out a calendar. And you kind of end up with a great SEO campaign. I think you get not only the, the great rankings, but you also get a great content development strategy as part of that program. Yeah, and I think what people, the, the smart people are beginning to do is not look at SEO as one like slice of the pie. They look at SEO as kind of a layer that... that overlaps everything you do from a business perspective not just a marketing perspective or the icing on the cake <laughs> i guess so um really the icing between the layers of the cake as long as it's not a clemson pour cake like you gave me last oh that week. was that cake was delicious it was delicious <laughs> it, it was ugly as sin but it was delicious tasted like winning oh yeah it did <laughs> tasted like a national champion mm. Mm. and you wouldn't know that that tastes like I, I would not i'm imagining it's bitter i don't know <laughs> <laughs> But the, the other thing I would say is if, uh, one, Misha, don't knock the microphones, but two, and I just did it, but two, um, if a company comes to you and says they guarantee, if they use the word guarantee related to anything with performance of SEO, don't use that business. 
because there are no guarantees. I mean, it, it is a science. We can make a best approximation. We can impl implement the best practices and we're very likely going to see improvements. But there's not an SEO in the world that can ever guarantee you're going to get number one ranking for any keyword. If they can, they're using very shady tactics. Yeah. And you might be number one next week, but guess what? You might never ever. You be might get blacklisted, again. <laughs> and we've seen that before. Yeah. You know, we've seen that in a, in this market here. There was an individual that went out and did some questionable tactics, I'd say, and for for one season, ranked top with this site that everyone's scratching their head. It's like, why is this site in the top ten, let alone the top three for a really competitive keyword like Myrtle Beach Hotels? And you know what happened? Google caught on to it and. I have not seen them rank in the top 50 any, any time since they got caught. So, And beware. nobody from Google will ever contact you to optimize your website. That does oh, yeah. not happen. So someone contacts you saying, hey, we're here with Google. My website is somethinggoogle.com. Run away. That is basically a scam. Google provides documentation and they provide that to everybody who's interested in getting that information. But nobody with a at Google email address is ever going to contact you and solicit you for natural optimization. Right. We've had that a few times where clients have come to us and, and we'll say, who's doing your pay-per-click or who's doing your SEO? And they'll say, well, Google is. And we're like, well, they don't do that. And they'll send us an email. And it is. It's somethinggoogle.com. So it would be like Pete at biggoogle.com or 123google.com or something like that. Totally not legitimate. If you're dealing with anyone at Google, the only email addresses that they use are at google.com. If there's any word before that, it's not Google. Yep. And, and they'll if be you're talking, talking to anybody that's like at fueltravel123.com, I know we have some, <laughs> you know, some people trying to replicate our services because they're that good. We only use at fueltravel.com. There are a lot of pretenders. You know, we some of some people accidentally still use Fuel Interactive. That was our old domain. So fuelinteractive.com or fueltravel.com. But they should be using Fuel Travel. Let me know if they're using Fuel Interactive. Fuel Travel shorter. It is. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we ran into a dead end. It it was a you know what it was a pretty straight laced episode overall though I it felt, was I felt like we stayed on point we didn't go off on too many tangents we made it like ninety eight percent of the way yeah so now we got to blow it up at the end <laughs> like we say it's the best thirty minutes you know of marketing yeah, yeah there's, there's another <laughs> the other 20, thirty minutes twenty five yeah. minutes of nonsense um so cool that I mean that was great it was a really good uh, video from that Google put out I think Search Engine Land did a good job recapping it and then. Hopefully, we did a decent job recapping their recap. But uh, guys, where can they find you on the web, Pete? They can find me on Twitter at P DeMaio, P D I M A I O. And Philip. You can find me on Twitter at P Fariska. That's P F O R I S K A. And Misha. You can find me at Marketing Misha. That's at Marketing M E I S H A. Still no wine. You, you want to make another oh, plug? I keep getting Facebook ads for um, national championship champagne. Mm. Some company has like a specialized limited time <laughs> bottle. So if anybody wants to buy it, it's like $25. It's twisting the knife now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I might just cave and buy it for myself. That's funny. But if you want to send wine to <laughs> Misha, she's begging for it. 3032 Church Street. You don't 3023 Church Street. Myrtle Beach. So you don't know our address. 29577. I don't send a whole lot of direct mail to our own address. Oh. Um, but don't forget, guys, you can download our latest 
behavior study. We looked at website behavior at fueltravel.com slash website study. You can get a, a last year's study, which is still packed full of awesome information at fueltravel.com slash study. We are going to be doing a webinar pretty soon. Uh, I believe it's March 23rd uh, with Stay in Touch and Flip2. So stay tuned for more information on that. We're going to start pushing that out on our social channel. So if you follow us at Fuel Travel, you'll see links so you can register to that webinar. But we're going to be talking about how consumers' expectations have changed over the years and what you can do as a hotelier to adapt and evolve to meet those expectations, both in the booking process, during the stay, and then post-stay as well. So that is going to be a lot of fun. You can get the show notes to this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 45 and stay tuned for more information we're going to be starting trying to do live streaming of the podcast starting with episode 50 which will be in conjunction with our one year anniversary of the podcast as well so if you're interested in seeing our ugly mugs while we're talking that is going to be available here pretty soon don't forget to submit questions at fuel travel and until Next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. SpaghettiOs!